Well, God's, God's presence is uh, real strong today. Amen. He's doing good things. I encourage you to uh, consider those things that S3 shared. There, there was many things there that were shared, but uh, there may be a few that just caught your attention that the Lord said, shined His light on. And so uh, I encourage you to write those down to... Uh, respond to those in your own times of, of prayer and, and worship and times of the Lord. We don't want to just, with anything, hear something from the Lord, whether that's personally or corporately or wherever. Um, if you hear something from God, write it down. Get, get, it, get it in you. Don't, don't just let it, let it go on by. Uh, let it sink into your spirit and bear fruit. So open your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 10. God is not done yet. I'll let you know that. He's not done today. And I believe that um, Gary Coe, I need you to come here in just a minute. As soon as you can, come up here. Um, I believe that in order for us to walk aligned with the Lord... Uh, we, we have to allow him to, to bring freedom in, in areas of our lives. Last week, Pastor Gary, you remember, talked about fear. If you were here, fear is a filter. Uh, fear is a seed, and it grows if we don't, if we don't take care of it. And uh, today we're going we're gonna to talk about another one. Gary Coe is helping me get a prop that I forgot to get this morning. So, you're like, what's going on? That's all. I couldn't find the box earlier, sir. That's why I didn't get it. And then I gave up and forgot. So today, we're going to, let's read this passage in 2 Samuel 10. Holy Spirit, we invite you to open up the, the scriptures as we read them. It says, Second uh, Samuel 10, In the course of time, the king of the Ammonites died, and the son of Hanan succeeded him as king. David thought, I will show kindness to Hanan, son of Nahash, just as his father showed kindness to me. So David sent a delegation to express his sympathy to Hanan concerning his father. You get, get what's going on here? The other king died, and his son is now in his place. And David wants to send a blessing. He, he was friends with David. And so when David's men came to the land of the Ammonites, the Ammonite nobles said to Hanan their lord, Do you think David is honoring your father by sending men to you to express sympathy? Hasn't David sent them to you to explore the city and spy it out and overthrow it? So Hanan seized David's men. Thank you. Shaved off half of each man's beard cut off their garments in the middle at the buttocks and sent them away. When David was told this, he sent messengers to meet the men, for they were greatly humiliated or ashamed. And the king said, Stay at Jericho till your beards have grown, and then come back. And uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, Pastor Kim shared with this passage at our men's meeting, and uh, this isn't really what he shared about, but he just made one mention of, uh, of what's going on in this passage. And one thing that happens is, is these men were shamed. You know, for a, 
for a for an Israelite for a, you know to have their beard shaved off halfway like that was a, was a humiliating thing, and I think we all get that if our uh, <laughs> hind quarters were hanging out. Um, I hope you'd be embarrassed. <laughs> I mean, but this was an, in, an intentional, an intentional ploy of the enemy to shame the people of God. And so, last week we talked about fear. Pastor Gary spoke on fear, and that's a biggie. But there's another one that kind of goes right along with this. Another tool of the enemy, and it's the tool of shame. And I don't know which one's worse because, you know what, anything that's not God is not good. So it's, they're in, in their badness, they're bad. But today we're going we're gonna to explore shame and freedom from shame. And I believe today that God wants to break shame off of our lives. Now shame comes in many different ways. Sometimes it's like this. There's two, two main ways shame comes in our lives. Number one is uh, something can be done to us. Just like these men. That's what happens when could be a, you could be a kid in school and you, know, you wet your pants when you're like six. And all the kids laugh at you. And you go home and you cry and, and all that stuff. And there's, there's, in that moment, what is being placed on you is shame. It could be a type of abuse in your life. Bring serious shame. Any kind of abuse. Physical abuse, verbal abuse, sexual abuse. Those things immediately bring, uh, is, is, is just like these guys. It's like, man, you just got cut off in your hind end. And you're hanging out now. Let me pray. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are already here. And Father, we come to you through Jesus by the Holy Spirit. And right now, I speak to every heart that they would be open. I speak to every spirit of shame that may hinder someone from hearing this word today. I say you are silenced today. You have no authority. You have no power. Any work of the enemy that would try to hinder someone from freedom today, stop and you must leave now in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me read you the definition of shame. Shame, just the definition in the dictionary. It says, The painful feeling arising from the consciousness of something dishonorable, improper, or ridiculous done by oneself or another. A fact or circumstance bringing disgrace or regret. And it also has one definition as just disgrace. So there's two ways that shame comes on our life. We're gonna, we've looked at one and we're going to look at the other here in just a second. Number one is something's done to us. And the other way is something that we do. And I find it interesting, if you want to turn your Bibles, let me get you there. Genesis chapter 2, verse 25. 
And this is the origin of shame. This is where it all began. This is where it all started. Uh, and shame did come before fear. But we, we switched them up because we weren't planning to, to do this. <laughs> but I find it interesting. It's interesting that one of the, the definitions of shame is disgrace. And we all know, uh, Cerise just talked about, you know, that the grace of God, where sin abounds, grace uh, abounds all the more. Um, and you know what? The grace of God is twofold. Does everybody know that? That grace is, is number one, grace does cover. In other words, grace covers sin. But grace also empowers. It's the grace of God that teaches us to say no to ungodliness and yes to the things of God. That's a Titus 2.11 summary. And so what happens when shame comes in our lives, whether it's done to us by someone else or by something we do, is immediately there's disgrace. Now, what does the word dis mean? I know I'm using the dictionary a lot. I just wanted to copy Gary and Ashley. So the word dis is a prefix... A Latin prefix meaning apart. So think about this with grace. Every time I say a word, think apart, disgrace. Apart from grace. Away from grace. Having a... This was one of our words in our game last night, maybe. Having a privative, negative, or reversing force. Dis. To disrespect. And if you're, you know, from the hood or something... Which I'm not, obviously, because I don't even say it right. So never mind. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> don't diss me, man. <laughs> so when shame comes immediately, it is, it is, it is, it comes to cut off the very life of God that would bring freedom to cover your shame and empower you to move past your shame. So where did this all begin? Where did this nasty little sucker get started? In the, be, in the beginning, well, not in the beginning, in the, in the beginning when, when man was created and tempted and fell. So Genesis 2.25, we'll start there. It says, the man, it's Adam, and his wife Eve were both naked and they felt no shame. They were not ashamed. And I believe that was more than just a physical thing. It wasn't just the fact that they had no clothes on and that it, it didn't matter. Uh, it, never mind. Don't imagine that. I've always imagined, like, you know, I guess we weren't supposed to wear clothes. And I don't mean in a crude way. I don't mean that in, like, a, a sexual or lustful way. But it's just like, you know what? It, it wasn't meant to, uh, to immediately ignite a lust. So they, but I believe they also they were. It means they were they were open. They were open books. They didn't have to hide anything. They were vulnerable with one another. They were open with God. There was there was no barriers on anything. Relationship was free. There was no misunderstandings. There was no no. Uh, what are they really thinking? There's no side agendas, hidden agendas going. I just they're just there and everything's good. They were they felt no shame. Now, verse 1, it says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say, You must not eat from any tree in the garden? 
And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, You must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die. The serpent said to the woman, For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Not quite. Um, Verse 6, When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some of it and ate it. It wasn't an apple. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open. That was true. It wasn't the kind of opening you wanted. And they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then what happens? The man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, God said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, (laughs) Here's where it all began, man. (laughs) When you look at this and go, Why did I do that? (laughs) Okay? These are, I mean, the effect, I mean, think of this. The effects of disobedience to God just manifest right away. Look at all this stuff that begins to just flood into the human creation. And the man said, The woman you put here with me... I mean, do you get this? He's not just blaming the woman. He's blaming God. He has not only turned... He has already turned on the Lord. He's and his wife. Man, that's what the enemy wants us to do. This is... We were encouraged by Cerise... You know, he wants to turn us against the Lord and our wife. That's probably priority one. Then we'll work on the kids next. The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The devil made me do it. Right? The serpent deceived me and I ate. At least the woman was deceived. The man didn't say anything about that. So let's not blame Eve too hard. And then God goes on and begins to declare the curse that has been released upon the world uh, and and some of the effects of that curse and promises salvation uh, there in verse 15 when he says that he promises Jesus that Jesus would uh, crush the head of the serpent even though he would be struck on his heel which would be not not quite mortally wounded. In other words, he would die and come back to life. It's a picture of Jesus right away. God is so in love with us. But did you notice what happened right when sin entered the world? What was the first thing that happened? Shame. Immediately it says, we're naked. 
and it was no longer a good thing. It was no longer a, you know, in other words, I, I'm now exposed and something, you know, there's something shameful and, and dishonorable about myself now. And you know, there's many things that can cause shame in our lives. Man, and I know this is not like the, <laughs> at the end, it's going to get good here. <laughs> God, God's going to bring stuff up right now to deal with it and bring freedom. But you know, remember a couple weeks ago when I, when I gave my testimony from camp? If, if you were here, some of you weren't here. Uh, I gave the testimony where I, in worship at camp, I just had this picture and God just spoke to me about my senior year of high school. And when I was a senior in high school, um, I was a lot quieter than I am now. Um, I was actually skinnier than I am now. Um, 120. <laughs> And uh, I was young, I was 16, but I had no, uh, I had no friends at school. You know, and why did those things happen? Don't, again, don't feel bad about this, it wasn't your fault. <laughs> My dad's heard this story before, I, I hate hearing that, sorry. Um, <laughs> I wouldn't trade it for anything, because God has done so much to... Bring me out of something hard and make me who I'm supposed to be. But, you know, I didn't have any friends. And you know what? When you're a loner, you already have shame right there. Because you, you go to lunch and there's, you already know that you're in trouble. You already know that there's some, you know, nothing good is going to happen in your, you know. So, what do you do? You hide. So, what did I do? Man, I, well, first of all, my brother was a freshman in high school that year. Uh, and, well, I'm the older brother. I mean, I'm supposed to be cool and I beat him at everything and better at everything, and not except guitar and other instruments, um, <laughs> even at that young age. Um, you know... I'm the older brother, right? Don't you, you know, how many of you here are the older, the, the oldest child, you know? I mean, you are, you are, you're the, you're the man or the woman. You're it, right? Sorry, Alice. <laughs> if you're the younger one, just be happy that you didn't have to live with this, you know, false stigma your whole life, okay? <laughs> you didn't have to get free from it. But look, you know, I'm the older one here. I'm supposed to be the cool one. I'm supposed to be the, you know... I was, I was a lot more open. We had friends at youth group and stuff, but they weren't like friends we hung around with. We went to church 20 miles away, so you couldn't just hop over to their house and hang out. So, you know, there's, there's, this, there's this stigma. So what do I do? I'm like, well, I don't want my brother to see me because you know what happens at that point is then I'm, I'm in, I know what's going to happen. I'm, I'm going to receive more shame. I'm going to be embarrassed. So I hide. You go to the library get in one of the little cubby holes, and do your homework. It's only 35 minutes at lunch, not that big of a deal. Get some homework done. I think you saw me a couple times, huh? Did you? You don't remember. You're like, I don't care. <laughs> this is your... <laughs> so when I was, you know, you know, and it's a cycle of shame. Anytime we get into something, you know, there's a cycle. Because what happens is... You know, rather than wanting to open up to say, hey, you know, I went to a Christian club. We met once a 
week or a month or something. So I had somewhere to go at lunch, go hang out with all the Christians that didn't care that I didn't have any friends. Um, or didn't know, actually. Most of them, you know, probably didn't know. And, you know, there's an opportunity for me to, to get out of my shame to say, hey, you know, find somebody that looks trustworthy. Just guess. Give it a good shot. At least there's a better shot here. These are supposed to be Christian kids. Uh, maybe it wouldn't have been a better shot. But, um, you know, these were, you know, people, some of them knew God. But shame keeps you from freedom because it was said, I don't want to keep hidden because I don't want to risk telling what's really going on in my life and bring more shame on me. So the safe play is don't do anything, don't say anything. And that's what shame does in your lives. I mean, you think about like serious abuse victims for children. What, what's the, what's, Jamie, what's the biggest thing? Is like they don't want to say it. Why do, you know, it's like, why wouldn't you tell us that something like that happened? Shame. They don't want to be shamed again. It's, yeah, it's scary. And that's how, I mean, you see how it's, it's a cycle. And so then it keeps you where you're at and you can't get out of it. Some people live with shame their whole lives. You may have something that's been hanging over your life the whole time. You've, you've been, you know, and you come to the Lord and, you know, I wish it just, God just took care of everything miraculously right then, right? Don't you? <laughs> but God's salvation is, you know, we're, we're standing in heaven. We're the righteousness of God in Christ. And then he works it out in our lives in, in, this, in this realm. It says, he who began a good work in you will carry it out until the day of Jesus Christ. In other words, until you meet Jesus in heaven, you know, he's, gonna be, he's working on you. And so sometimes he's going to do a better job of working on us by slowly bringing us to freedom than by just instantly, miraculously waving a magic wand and saying, blah, blah, blah. Ah! You know, it's all perfect now. Ah, you know, okay. So, I mean, do you, do you get it? Do you get the, the, the idea of shame? And here's, there's several responses to shame. Is number one, the first response to shame is right here in the Scripture. It says they hid. The first response to shame is to cover it up. Whether you do something or something is done to you, you don't want to bring it out into the light. Because, man, because why would I want to tell someone that? So hiding is the power of shame, I believe, because it keeps you from freedom. What's the second thing that happens right here with the, with the man and with Adam? The second thing that happens is, is critical judgment. You know, because I've had something, either I've done something that's shameful, that's brought shame on me, um, or I've had something happen to me, or just a situation happened, um, Judgment, really, ultimately, when, it, when judgment is coming in, and from a source of shame in someone's life, it's a sharing of shame. In other words, I can't get free, so I'm going to criticize you so I can bring you into what I'm experiencing. Isn't that what Adam does with his wife? Hey, the, this is a woman's fault right here. I mean, what, what do you think happened in that moment to Eve? I mean, I'm, I mean think about that. I mean, they've already, they've been exposed, they're hiding from God, they know something's bad, and then when God asks the question of her husband, he sells her out and exposes her even more. And so she gets a double shot of shame because he shares his shame with her, so she's got hers and his. 
And that's why sometimes when people, and it's not always just if someone's judgmental and critical, it doesn't mean it's from shame. But I think a lot of times there's times that it is because I want to unconsciously, it's not like we think of this, I, I end up sharing my shame. I want to throw it on you. Number three is anger. The fruit of shame. I think this one's pretty obvious. If something bad happens to you or you do something. Have you ever, I mean, think about this. Have you ever wondered why some of the, some of the preachers that have been the most vocal about certain things, they'll be like all into, this sin is bad. And then they fall into that sin. Or they've, already, they've been in that sin their whole time. It's because the response of shame for their sinfulness that is brought in their life, it's, we'll say like it's adultery, um, is to speak out louder and become angry. And so you have these believers who are, who are so angry at people over their sin rather than uh, loving them and inviting them into what's going to free them and change them into the love of Jesus and the gospel of, of grace. And so there's that anger. And, you know, sometimes that's a response is, you know, so in in other words, I'm going to go on the other side and and get get angry at people. The other thing, number four, is extreme control. That's fear of shame. In other words, because something bad happened, and most of the time this happens when it's done to you, when something happens with you, um, what do you do? I want to make sure that never happens again, right? I'm going to make sure something like that doesn't happen. Or we do it with our kids. And we can get over-controlling with our children because something happened to us as a child. We don't want that to happen to them. So I'm going to make sure it doesn't happen. Because we're, we have a fear of shame coming on. And that's not the way God wants us to live either. Number five. Shame stops you. Just stops you. It's a stronghold of shame. All right. See, what happens when shame comes into our lives, I believe shame is... Shame... Not shame, sorry. <laughs> that, I got two guys in one shot. Um, I believe shame... Shame... <laughs> Apparently, I don't know how to wear this. <laughs> this isn't how you wear this. You're supposed to wave it in worship, Okay. Shame is like a veil. It's like a covering, something that covers your life. And so now, whether this is because I have got myself into some kind of sexual sin, which is a real good way, especially for any of us, to get lots of shame. Just name them all. Just in your head, you can name them. They, they put shame on you, and then they keep you bound because you don't bring it out and say, I, I need to get out of this. And so then what happens, John, will you stand up and help me? Is now John comes and gives me a hug. And I I see John's face a little bit, but it's kind of purpley right now. And shame, now I am not able to experience the full embrace of a brother in Christ because the shame is a veil over me. And so when I get, I'm glad you brought more than this, Gary, because I was only planning one. But this is awesome. Then you do something else. For men, 
You get on that internet side again. And another veil comes over your head. Man, I really can't see as well now. Because the shame is building up on me. And now when Shane... (laughs) Whoops. I'm not delivered yet, so... When Shane... I can't even see what's on Shane's face. I can't see the the expression on his face. And I'm talking spiritually here. You you all understand that, right? But then when Shane says something encouraging to me, it kind of gets blurred. The message gets blurred to me because I I can't really quite see where he's really coming from. So is Shane really encouraging me or is there something, some hidden agenda that Shane has? And then Shane tries to, you know, give me a hug and you know, I, I'm a, you know, it's kind of like I, I come back because I can't quite see when he's actually going to get me. And so shame, shame. <laughs> I hope you remember this. Gary Coe inspired me last week. What can I say? Somebody get in the picture of this? <laughs> okay. And I know it's a silly illustration. But you know what? Man, I, I can hardly see through this thing now. And so now, when someone comes to encourage me, it, it just sounds like a trite religious phrase to me. When someone comes to love me, it's like half-hearted affection. When someone comes to gently, lovingly correct me, I jump back because I hear it as judgment. Because the veil of shame is covering my life. Let me read a quote from this book. It's called Bo's Cafe. This is actually where, as I was praying this week, I looked up on the shelf. And uh, that book kind of just, you know, stuck out to me. I'm like, oh, Lord, are you telling me to open the book? And it's like, yeah, let's open it up. So I just started scrolling through it, looking for stuff that I marked. And the first thing that caught my attention was right here. And this is a conversation between a a gentleman who's a believer and another gentleman who's, I don't know if he's a believer at this point, but he's trying to bring him to freedom. The one gentleman's wife has kicked him out, okay? And so he doesn't doesn't get it yet, uh, why things are going on. And so he's, as a friend, walking him through a healing process. Uh, It's probably a good summary. And so it says... So we experience shame. This is the middle of a conversation, so we're just pulling this out. So we experience shame hundreds of times before we reach adulthood. Maybe you get humiliated at a school dance. Maybe a coach rips you apart in front of your PE class. Or you walk into a party and find your girlfriend making out with some guy from another school. Or maybe someone violates you so badly you become convinced you can never tell anyone about it. People will tell you they don't carry any shame but they do. 
It doesn't matter how competent, intelligent, or accomplished you are. You've got it tucked away in there. And nobody can cope for any great period of time with the feeling of that nakedness. You know what shame does? It takes a particular violation or several violations from your past. Something that really got to you. Whether it's something you've done or something done to you. And convinces you. This is huge. Convinces you the person you felt like in that violation is who you'll always be for the rest of your life. We gradually learn to falsely rewrite our own story. We perfect a manipulated story either, either of our own inferiority, superiority, or some schizophrenic combination of the two. It becomes the lens... We see our lives through. Folks who feel inferior, well, they blame themselves a lot and see themselves as the reason for most of the trouble. Now, someone who feels superior, he blames others and sees them as the reason for all his problems. Both are based on a lie. The inferior guy, you feel bad for. The superior guy, he's a lot of work. He usually thinks his problems are his wife or his coworkers or the guy in front of him in traffic. Now, the engine for every distorted behavior, like, say, anger, for example, is this central lie we've used to rewrite our story. And unfortunately, it only perpetuates and re-energizes our shame. It may go underground for a while, but it never goes away. And the saddest part is that it never does what we hope it will. It never covers the shame. You ever heard of that book, The Scarlet Letter? I think I had to read it in school. I'm sure I did because I was a good boy. All I remember is pretty depressing. But But the main premise of the story is a woman commits adultery. And the response of the religious community, this is all from my head, so if I screw it up, English teachers, sorry. The religious community decides that the way that she needs to deal with her problem with adultery is to make her wear an A on her dress whenever she walks around. So not only has she been exposed in her shame, but now everybody knows. And whenever anybody interacts with her, whenever she goes out in public, that A is right there. I mean, does this sound anything like Jesus? (laughs) Does this look like the church, though, sometimes? Rather than lead someone to freedom from pornography or a myriad of other things. We put a mark on them. A letter. A-P-H. F. I'm throwing out different ones. You know, it's marked by whatever sin that that person is stuck in or committed. 
And it never does what they want. What, what everyone really wants is to be free from shame. Hebrews 12.2 says this, There's only one way to get free from shame. There's only one way. It says, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, scorning or despising its shame, and sat down, at the right hand of God. You know, some people think that when Jesus was crucified, that they stripped him naked. You know, I don't know. I'm not a scholar. I wasn't there. Either way, part of the crucifixion experience was meant to be a public shaming, a public humiliation. So when Jesus stepped onto that cross and took the sin, the punishment for our sins, He was also shamed for us. That Jesus, rather than having us be publicly exposed, allowed Himself to be publicly exposed and humiliated. It says, for the joy set before Him. He endured the cross. And I think it's interesting that some of, you know, it's, it's, and he scorned the shame. He, he didn't, the shame came upon Jesus, but he just, said, that's what I do to your shame. I'm breaking that thing off of the, my creation. Amen. This does not belong on them. You, Hebrews 2, verses 10 and 11. You can shoot that one up there, sir. Jesus, in bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering both the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus, look at this, is not ashamed to call them brothers. 1 Peter 2, 6, sir, shoot that one up for us. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion. Who's that? The right answer actually is Jesus this time in church. A chosen and precious cornerstones. And the one who trusts in Him will never be put to shame. And if you explore the book of Psalms, it's amazing. Because there's like all these people who just say, Lord, Lord, let not my enemies triumph over me, nor let me be put to shame. Over and over again, it's, it's expressed because, man, because shame is going to cripple you for the rest of your life. From becoming who you were meant to be in God. And things that were, ha- whether it was something you did or something that's happened to you, it keeps people bound in their sin. Whether that sin is, is habitual lust or, or whether it's anger or whether it's unforgiveness or whether it's any other myriad of things, that those things are, that shame, that, that, that covering comes on us. And it's the, only the grace of God 
It's only the power of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, that removes the shame from our lives. But sometimes we don't even know it's there. And God has to bring it up. The Holy Spirit brings up stuff. You know, I wonder, a couple weeks ago, I I didn't finish my story, for those of you that didn't hear it a couple weeks ago, at camp, as I was worshiping, the Lord took me back to myself being a senior in high school. And you know what He said to me? I was there. He said, I was there. I was with you. I saw a picture of myself sitting in the library. And Jesus was there. Hopefully helping me do my homework. <laughs> I was there. And you know what? It wasn't, a, it wasn't a huge emotional experience. But I believe part of what God was doing was removing some shame that had just been hanging around in my life unbeknownst to me. You know what? To me, that, that can be somewhat serious. But there's, there's some more serious things that happen. You know, whether that's, you know, things that have done to us, that have exposed us. And sometimes they, they even seem silly. You know what? They, they seem, you know, like that illustration there where it says, you know, something happens at the school dance or, you know, it's no, you know, your parent says to you something, you know, just an offhand remark. Oh, you're so this. And they're just, you know, they're halfway joking. But that, that thing just kind of rolls around in your head for a while. It's like, oh, is that really me? And then whatever they said, hey, don't, uh, you know, that drawing is ugly. Oh, that, that's just, or probably most of our parents are not, not this mean, huh? <laughs> oh, that, that looks kind of weird. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Wow, that's a weird looking car. That's what everybody said when I drew stuff. <laughs> but you know what? Sometimes those words, especially as a child, depending on who it's coming from, you, something comes on you. And you're like, hey, do you want to draw something else? No, I don't want to draw anything else. What has happened in that moment? Shame has now said, I'm going to stop that in your life. Whether you're supposed to be an artist or not, you're not going to draw anything ever again. I want you to be stuck where you're at. It could be something as small as that. It could be something as huge as, as something... Some gigantic sin, whatever you think that is. Or some gigantic violation in your life. It's interesting that it goes on. He does give the answer here. It says, just about the time you've become totally disillusioned with your journey, Jesus will step out of the shadows and stand next to you. He'll look in your eyes and say, I took your shame for you 2,000 years ago. And I won the right to have it never, ever again define you. It doesn't belong to you anymore. It's over. That's, that's the truth. Josh, come up and play whichever one you want. And so here's the deal. We can, we can stop right here and say, that was a nice sermon, Pastor John. Thank you. <laughs> or we can allow the Holy Spirit to, to work on our hearts right now. And I believe God wants to take off some veils today. 
It's like you, you almost wonder, man, why do I even re- react like that to my spouse? Well, maybe there's a veil that you don't even realize is there that Jesus wants to remove from you today. It was a, a, a guy named Rick Joyner. He's a prophetic pastor. And whether you agree with everything he does or not, it doesn't really matter. I don't know if I do because I don't know everything he does. But he wrote a book called Something, um, which I didn't write down. And in the book, she sees a vision. And it's a vision of the body of Christ. And there's these fully dressed soldiers who are surrounded by these little tiny demons. And they've got swords that are hanging at their sides, their shields are down, their helmets off, tucked in their backpack. And I'm embellishing this a little bit. This is how I remember it. So if you go read it and say that wasn't quite the detail, we're going to get the main gist here. I couldn't find the book. And so, you know, the little demons, they, they had these little whips or some sort of thing. And they're, they're, they're directing where all the soldiers of God are going. And they're just little tiny, tiny guys. It's like they're, you know, like little, you know, elf things or something. But they're having control over this powerful army. You know, those little things were the spirit of fear. And every time those things would wave their weapon, the people of God scurry over this way or scurry over that way. And then there were some other ones that came and landed on their heads and vomited on them. I'm not trying to get you all emotional. I'm I'm just, I, I believe God wants to break some chains today and those things was the spirit of shame covering those soldiers heads and smearing their countenance putting something over them so they couldn't see clearly where they were going humiliating them publicly so they wouldn't step out in strength and power who they were made to be And there were a bunch of other little things going on. But today, I believe God says, I want to break shame off people right now. And you know what? It'd be real easy for me to say, close your eyes, bow your heads, and nod at me if you feel like there's something shameful in your life that you need to deal with. But you know what? Um, that's that's kind of why we're stuck there. Now, we're not going to confess our whatever's to somebody. Sometimes that is helpful to have someone walk through you. Just let the Lord speak to you and lead you. But today, I want us to all stand. And if there is a... Anything in you that urges you that says you're dealing with this, 
I'm going to invite you to come up in just a minute. So I'm going to pray right now, and I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal things to us. You may not know. You may not be like, it may be obvious right now. Like God right now, is for some of us, making it obvious. You need to be up there, and this is why. You know what it is. You know the moment. You know the incident. Whether it was done to you or you did it, you know. But right now I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come reveal things to us so that you can heal them. Not so we can be ashamed any longer, not so you can expose us, but so we can be covered and so the veil can be lifted, so the vomit can be washed off of us, and so that we can become and walk free as you created us to walk and be, as you paid for on the cross of Calvary. Jesus, we thank you for that. And so right now, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would expose those things, not for harm, but for good. We invite you right now, Holy Spirit, to speak to our hearts. And so if you feel like you need to respond to that, I need you to come up front. You need to kick that thing in the face right now. Come up front. I'm not going to ask you what it is. We're not going to have a confession. I encourage you to confess to somebody because there's power in confession. Our weapons are confession and repentance if it's something that we have done. If it's something that's been done to us, then, then our weapon is petition, asking God. And our freedom is in healing. So I want some of the, Jesus, Jesus. Some people, if you come, just stand behind these, stand behind them as just, and, and begin to pray, pray in the spirit behind them right now. Just stand behind them and pray in the spirit. We're not, we're not asking them what's going on. This is just a, we're just covering, we're standing with them right now. And do as the Holy Spirit leads you, but we're just, we're just standing with them. Right now, Lord, I thank you. Thank you, Holy Spirit. That there is power in the name of Jesus to break every chain. And so right now, in agreement, we speak to every single one of these people who are standing here. We speak to the shame that has tried to cover them, Lord. We speak to the shame that has restricted them, that has, that has tried to define their lives, that has said, this is who you are in that moment. This is who you really are. And right now, Jesus says, that is a lie. And we break the power of shame right now, Lord. We join in agreement that shame is broken. Chains are falling. All our sin is gone. It's broken by the power of Jesus, by the blood of Jesus Christ, by the power of the resurrection. It is applied in our lives right now. We speak to shame and we say, shame off of every single one of these people. Many of us have had someone say to us, shame on you. Well, I say to you, shame off you by the power of Jesus. Shame off of you. Shame off of you. Shame off of you. Shame off of you. It's off of you. It does not belong. That is not. Hand it to the Lord. I encourage you, give those things to the Lord right now. Give them to the Lord. Lay them at His feet. 
Open up your heart. Let Him heal you right now, Lord. We pray for a healing balm of your Holy Spirit to go into those places that have been exposed in our lives, to go into those places that have been exposed and, 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 and dirtied and, and covered up. And, and we, we want to hide them, Lord. I pray that you go into those places and by your healing, you make them beautiful. Some of you ladies have been, have been ashamed of how you look. And right now Jesus is saying, I look at you as beautiful. You are my lovely daughter. Some of you men, you feel shame on your eyes and your hands because of what they've done. And right now, Jesus is washing our hands of the shame. He's cleansing our eyes. We will not let shame rule our lives anymore, O oh Lord. We will not let shame define us. Thank you, Jesus, that we have beauty for ashes. The oil of joy for mourning. Just as the first song we said today said, I'm trading my shame for the joy of the Lord. Release your joy in every single one this morning, God. Release your joy. Release a fresh joy in their, in their lives, Lord. Release your joy. Release just, just a, something that wasn't there before. For some of us, it's, it's a shame from a broken relationship or marriage. And God wants to just, just break that off and say, Do not be ashamed. Move into my freedom and healing today. Do not be ashamed. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Holy Spirit. We're not ashamed of the gospel. You know, one of the things I think that the enemy wants us to do is, is be ashamed. Because we think, you know what? The gospel is not working for me. <laughs> and why am I going to tell someone about Jesus if I feel like I'm just stuck where I'm at and I can't get free? And so God says, hey, let's just enter into my freedom. Let's remove that shame. And you don't have to be ashamed of me. And I'm not ashamed of you. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the one that I love, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Can you play Bless the Lord? Let's just close by singing that chorus we sang, Bless the Lord, O my soul. And let, just one second. Um, this, is, this is a beginning. God may have totally delivered you today. Uh, but some things are going to, it's, it's a process. You may have more than one veil. That's okay. God just wants to strip one off. You know what? Every time I took a veil off there, everything became a little bit more clear. And so God wants to continue through this process. When you're, when you're on your own time with God, He may bring something up. He may bring up a situation. Uh, you may need to repent for it, or you may need to just say, God, help me with this, uh, if it was done to you. And I encourage you, that's, that's God walking you through inner healing and deliverance and freedom. He, the Holy Spirit can do that in your own life. Sometimes you have to find a brother or sister. That's okay. If you need someone like that, um, we have someone available. You come see 
uh, Ashley or myself, and we'll get you hooked up somehow if, if you want uh, a little bit more prayer time in, in that type of thing. Um, but let's just go ahead. I just want to give you some instruction, too, that, you know, it's not all just magic. That is, I, Something was released today. But don't let, don't go home and that thing might try to fly by your house and say, hello, can I come in? <laughs> Remember me? And even though it's familiar, have you ever heard the term familiar spirit? Okay. Just because something's familiar doesn't mean it's from God. So you tell that thing, no, in Jesus' name, you're not coming back. And so right now we speak to shame, the spirit of shame that that has been released in these people. And we say, you must leave and, and you must never come back in the name of Jesus. You must never come back. By the authority of Jesus, don't come back. Your power is broken. You're gone. Let's worship the Lord as we close. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul, worship His holy name, sing like never before, oh my soul, I worship your holy name, bless the Lord. bless you today we just celebrate you lord thank you lord thank you lord we just give you praise today oh god thank you for freeing us lord thank you for freedom thank you for freedom thank you for freedom lord amen amen well give somebody a hug give somebody a hug and say you're not ashamed anymore thank you lord